Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. With us in the studio today, we have Rob Douglas of Added Valuation. Um, Rob's a uh, local property expert and someone we um, utilise to assist our clients with sage advice on uh, all things property related. So we thought we'd get Rob in today to talk about what's happening in the property market uh, locally and nationally. And um, yeah, welcome Rob. Here are Nick. It's great to be here. Yeah. And then perhaps at the end, Rob, we could also have a little chat uh, about your political aspirations because I see that you're the uh, Tuki Tuki Act candidate. Yeah, thanks, Nick. That'd be great. Um, yeah, look forward to that conversation. Likewise. Hey, well, look, let's get into it. So, um, look, how would you say that the high interest rates have imp- impacted properties uh, in the residential market in Hawke's Bay? Yeah, well, look, I think if you, you have to have a look at where we've come from. Um, we've had an environment where interest costs virtually had no bearing on the market. You know, people were making decisions, not worrying about the cost of finance because it was so cheap. Uh, I'm 45, and in my lifetime, I've never known interest rates so low. Yeah. Um, certainly not in times when I was borrowing. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, the government had implemented a range of measures to try and squeeze that residential market. And, and, and none of them were working, you know. They... CCFA rules that control whether you could buy coffees, uh, you know, yeah. essentially to uh, affecting your borrowing credentials, um, removing interest deductibility on residential tenancies, healthy, healthy home requirements, hitting landlords, um, and uh, other residential tenancy act requirements. None of that was having an impact, um, or at least none of it was having a noticeable impact. Uh, because interest rates were just so cheap and the property market was just growing so rapidly. We also had quite a lot of uh, immigration into Hawke's Bay. Um, so what's happened now is that that has reversed in terms of the interest costs are now a really material factor. Mm. Um, and I was just looking at the statistics uh, residentially um, and uh, on our website, uh, we uh, update those weekly. And um, we, uh, I was looking at Havelock North, the, the average home has gone from about $1.2 million down to about $950,000. Um, Napier, um, it's gone from about uh, a bit below nine hundred down to almost as low as 600 now. 
um, and, and similar kind of statistics for Hastings as well. Um, and, and that has been a compounding effect of both the interest rates um, and also now those other factors that have been implemented onto the property market actually having an impact. Mm. Um, and also the balance between immigration and migration has, you know, levelled out a lot more at the moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's major. Yeah. So, so given those numbers you've just shared, um, Hastings, Havelock, Napier, that would mean that someone who potentially bought their home, say, October 2021, possibly at an 80% mortgage, as people were able to get mortgages at that level, uh, they would have no equity at the moment. Is that, is that pretty much the outcome? It could well be in many cases. Um, you know, what, uh, what shows up in the statistics can at times be exaggerated mm. because of the nature of property selling, maybe the quality of home selling uh, in 2021 at the peak. Um, may have on average been a higher quality home than, you know, at the moment perhaps they're more affordable homes selling but more regularly. Um, It's hard to know, but often we have found that when we're actually going out and valuing people's properties, the the difference doesn't necessarily fully measure up to those statistics. But what I have seen is actually the market is probably near its bottom at the moment. Mm. Um, In fact, in recent weeks we've actually started to, well, sorry, months, we've started to adjust our time adjustments back up again, uh, but just very, very slowly. Interesting. Yeah. And so looking at the commercial and industrial market, are you seeing the high cost of high cost of funds, high cost of capital starting to flow through into that sector as well? Oh, absolutely. What we do find with commercial is it tends to lag a little bit. Um, like what are we talking? Like a six month, twelve, eighteen yeah, month lag, or longer? Yeah, sort of. No, probably more six to twelve months. Mm. Um, and it depends on the investor. You know, we do see some that uh, just are quite happy to box on looking long term um, for a lot longer after a change in the cost of capital and they're generally your, your more cashed up investors um, and they're still out there um, but uh, they're just not as you know they're few and far between now um, mm. uh, but we have seen some continued transactions like that the animates building sold the other day uh, at a pretty sharp yield and um, you know with what I'd consider some more compromised lease terms yes. um, and um, you know but it had a very very secure income stream going forward and the investor was happy with that yeah what, um, what, what was the what was the cap rate or the um, the yield on that on that transaction, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think it was about five and a half percent. It was it was slim, um, and um, you know that's the kind of thing we would have expected every day uh, in 2021. Mm. Um, but we're just not typically seeing that today. But then we have seen other properties that uh, you know have been showing substantially greater yields, um, and on the whole, you know I think we're seeing uh, uh, somewhere between half a percent and one and a half percent growth on those yields depending on the investment and uh, and nature of it. So we have seen the likes of syndications dropping right out of the market. It's hard for them to make it work now. Yes, yes. Um, And um, uh, yeah, overall though, um, we are seeing reasonably strong occupancy. We are seeing um, rents 
are continuing to grow despite tough times in the economy and I think that's just an inflation impact flowing through there and so that inflation impact is often having a a softening impact on the reduction in value for commercial properties. Okay, so uh, just touching on the syndicated properties, so one would therefore expect that those people that had invested, and a lot of people put a lot of money into syndicated investments over the last, well, the eight, you know, the the three years, eighteen months ago. So one would imagine that on the secondary market for those that it would be, uh, it would be there'd be a there'd be a, bit, a little bit of blood on the floor. Yeah, quite possibly. Actually, we don't trace that. Um, because you know we, the banks won't lend on it. Um, they're already leveraged. Yes. Um, so we don't tend to have to get involved in it. Um, we tend to be involved in when syndicates are buying whole packages. Yes. Um, and uh, you know those guys are just not out there investing at the moment. But I'd be pretty surprised if there wasn't some pretty soft uh, resales on some of those syndications, and justifiably so in some cases. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can remember. I remember talking to someone about you know if they had bought a property um, two and a half years ago, say that you know kind of Labour weekend of um, say twenty twenty, um, you know, so you got the four the four day long weekend, and if you'd bought a property in Havelock North End, it probably would have started with a four, possibly a late three, and yet if they were to have you do a check valuation, like you know, not because they want to sell, just because they want to know you know where are we travelling they would find that the capital value of their investment had materially declined unless the rental had gone up a lot. Yeah, look, that's right. I mean, on the whole, we are seeing that the rental increases have often continued to offset that Mm. capitalisation gain. Yeah. And and so, you know, we've got, like, uh, there's a property out of Mahu Road call store at the moment back on the market. It hasn't sold yet. Yes. but um, had sold in about 2020 uh, at uh, about a 7.4 yield. Okay. I think they're now looking at about a, um, they're asking 8.1, they'll probably get 8.5, something like that. Yeah. Um, but even still, they will have made a capital gain because the rent stream has Understood. increased so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are you starting to see it? Because I've, I've seen a couple of cases where I've seen lease, leases. Uh, where I've been asked to um, have a cursory glance or perusal about what's going on, and I see that they've got like a CPI kicker every two years coming through on the lease, and yet the tenant is saying, on a retail basis, is saying, <laughs> you can't get blood out of a stone. <laughs> are, are you seeing are you seeing landlords giving uh, dispensation to, to tenants to keep them happy, or are you seeing people saying, hey, that's the lease, that's what you signed, and uh, it's going up by inflation? Yeah, look, both. Uh, we do get a real mix in terms of our uh, uh, our clients and, and what they're doing. Um, and yeah, look, yesterday I was talking to a, a landlord that had done just that um, for a tenancy in Napier. Mm. Um, for the Havelock tenancies, where actually the market's ticking along just fine, they haven't. Um, so, yeah, okay. you know, it's a bit uh, property specific, location specific, and, um, you know, tenant specific. Yeah, understood. Um, and how do you see the Hawke's Bay um, residential market? And I use the word residential rather than industrial commercial so much, but because you know we had the cyclone, massive impact on pockets of the community. Do you see 
do you see the Hawke's Bay market as a separate bubble versus, using that COVID language, the old bubble, versus uh, the rest of the residential housing market in New Zealand? Uh, look, not in a big way. Um, you know, I would say that uh, it's, it's taking out a few homes, um, but in terms of volume of homes, um, there hasn't been that big an impact. Uh, whether it has an impact on immigration or migration, um, that may have uh, a bit of a part to play. But actually, you know, look, we were a bit cautious immediately after the cyclone in terms of what impact this might have on the market. The reality is we haven't seen anything material. It hasn't been like COVID, um, you know. So, uh, you know, the biggest bearer on the market is actually the macro items rather than the micro ones. Um, and that's, that is also um, across commercial as well. Um, but what I would say with commercial is perhaps there's been a little bit of impact on some sectors of the industrial market, like uh, I think there'll be a lot of hesitancy de- developing out in Awatoto, yeah. um, which was probably an area earmarked for a fair bit of growth, um, just won't, won't proceed. Yeah, well, if I, was in, if I was sitting on, if I was wearing an insurer's hat or an underwriter or reinsurer, yeah, I'd, you know, <laughs> I think I'd be quite hesitant on uh, going, you know, boots all in uh, with Awatoto cover. Yeah, you know, that's that's absolutely right. Um, and so that probably will have some flow-through effect when we start to see that through on those insurance costs, particularly yes. on commercial property. Yep. Um, look, I think there's probably going to be some encouragement for some developments mm. on the residential front. I would yep. suggest like uh, Mission Hills where, you know, you've got the elevation. Um, that might be just a factor, probably only in the short term, though. What we tend to find is the market concentrates on these things immediately after an event. Yep. Um, and then... After about five, six, seven years, the market's largely forgotten about them if they haven't repeated. Um, the difference is where they do repeat, um, then immediately you start to see a compounding effect on that decline in value. And, and the Hamawana coastline is a perfect example of that where um, you know, you'd, you'd get one, one hit and, uh, uh, and then once it got repeated and repeated and repeated, people would have essentially walked away from the properties yes. or because the... The banks pulled out. The insurance mm. company, or the insurance companies, pulled out first. Then the banks pulled out. People stopped investing in their properties because no longer made any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, it's forecasted uh, by bank economists um, that you know we're probably you know house prices at their low point, or maybe take another twelve months to decline further, as predicted by Reserve Bank and Treasury. You mooted earlier that possibly we're at a flaw now. Do you think that the RBNZ and Treasury are just being, are they being just pessimistic and overly cautious? Or do you see that there's a possibility that that price floor may come down further? Yeah, look, what we're seeing at the moment is is that the economists are right, um, <laughs> rather than Treasury. Um, but uh, that's not to say that uh, there won't necessarily be further reductions. But my gut feel is, I probably sit on the economist side yeah. on this one. Um, the um, the reality is we have seen some slight pickup in activity. Uh, sentiment is generally improving. Um, people, yeah, people are just feeling more confident that now is uh, uh, not a bad time to buy. I don't think people feel that it's necessarily the right time, as in. There's going to be a lot of capital growth to come. I don't think people are optimistic of that. 
but what I do think is that they're no longer worried that there's a significant downside to it, and that helps the market an awful lot. Sentiment is very important. Mm. I was looking at some charts yesterday in preparation for having a chat with you this morning, and I was looking at, um, so QV, you can have a look at the QV data, and I was looking at the charts, um, you know, going back through that kind of, um, oh, I think it started, I think it was 10-year data you can get just online. You can have a look at, you see the chart, and, you know, during the key administration, it ticks along, bounces up a little bit, you know, um, around 2015, and then, of course, we know what happened in COVID. It just went just absolute gangbusters during that uh, the Ardern era but it's interesting if I go back and I if I was a chartist which I'm not a chartist is a technical term for someone that you know builds charts around uh, stock prices etc for forecasting but it pretty much showed that despite this massive correction that's happened of late we're pretty much if you're a chartist we're kind of back on that the trajectory that had been set by the key administration Mm -hmm. which I've I, I found rather interesting whereas it just showed the material uptick during that that COVID period. Yeah, look, that's right. I mean, cost of capital just became so cheap. You know, you weren't worried about uh, spending a little bit extra. If you could borrow it, you would. You know, that was the market sentiment. And, um, uh, you know, I think we've seen a total change in that. Um, And, look, I I guess my gut feel is that she's going to be pretty slow market. Yeah. For the next uh, five years, I, I don't think we'll see a continuation of what we saw between fourteen and um, I don't know twenty twenty yeah. um, or twenty nineteen. Um, I think it'll be slower than that, yeah. um, and certainly that's what we're sort of seeing out there at the moment. Um, what I would say is that I think commercially the market still has further to go in terms of rising capitalisation rates. I don't think the market is fully priced in the rising cost of capital. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it was interesting because I looked at, and you know, um, in, in our t- to the listeners I should disclose, I actually went to university with, at the same time as Rob, I didn't continue through the property evaluation. Um, um, he really had a passion for a property more than I did, um, but I just had a property, a, a, a property degree. But it was interesting, I've been saying to people because of that kind of background and understanding that I have, I was saying to people when, so when the stock market declined with the Russian invasion, a lot of people were exiting, say, stocks and bonds, and they were going into property. And I was saying to them, I was saying, you do realise that, you know, that there's a lag on this, and the fact that the capitalisation rates will come up shortly, and therefore your, your capital value or the value of the property will decline. So you've got out of one asset at the bottom, you're climbing into another one at the top. It's yeah, you're going to have two sets of losses in a row, and I, it was incredible the amount of people that rotated into commercial and industrial property over the last two years. Yeah, yeah, no, it would it's certainly probably not the ideal time. Hmm. The, the the fortunate thing is the rise in rents has helped to offset that. Yeah. So um, yeah, look, there'll be some people. Um, particularly if their lease clauses isn't good. I mean, I was dealing with a property the other day where it had a um, uh, a lease clause capped at 10% per review. So two-yearly rent review cycle. might have actually been three-yearly rent review cycle. I can't remember. And and a 10% cap. Um, At the moment, the rent should go up in that particular property over 30%. So... um, 
you know, you've got uh, you've got to look at a multitude of mm. things when you're investing in commercial property. You've got to really understand it. Yes. Um, you know, there's seismic issues, there's the lease clauses, there's tenant quality, there's, um, you know, the letability of the building. So many factors. And, um, yeah, it pays to take, you know, prudent advice on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly the reason why we have you on our, our uh, subject matter expert bench, as we call it. Um, so, just in terms of so, although you know um, the prices of properties, residential properties have declined, it's still difficult for many people to you know own a home, especially first home buyers, due to these high you know high mortgage rates. But they might not be high versus the thirty-year average, but they're certainly high versus the five-year average. What would be your advice to a first home buyer? Yeah, look, I think it's everyone's uh, situation is different, but uh, I, I think if you have the capital behind you, look, it's not a bad time to be getting into the market. I don't think you'll look back in ten years' time and go, you know, I made a wrong decision buying yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and and you know, look, if you even if you hold it for two or three years and you sell it and buy back in on the same market. I wouldn't be concerned about that. I think it's inadequate. You know, yeah. I don't. Whereas, look, I've got one of our staff members is, is just in that same situation. She's looking to buy hmm. um, her first home, and um, you know, a couple of years or well, a year ago when she first joined us, I said, "No, no, hold back. Just hold back." Yeah. And she did, um, luckily. And um, yeah. now I've sort of said to her, "It's okay. Time to do it now." Yeah. Good on you. Uh, the, your um, staff are very fortunate they have someone that they can <laughs> bounce ideas <laughs> off like that. Yeah, yeah, you're a true fiduciary. Um, hey, there was one other thing that I saw that came up just in some research, that there's a new AI chatbot uh, that it's called uh, Tama, T-A-M-A, that was launched to help renters and landlords understand the, the ever-increasing complexity of tenancy law. How do you think AI is going to affect the property market and it will be for, will, will it be for the good? Or for the worst? Yeah, sure. Um, well, look, I guess more information is better. Cheaper information, faster information has got to be for the better. And um, so, um, uh, you know, look, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, as long as people understand it for what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, we already see quite a bit of AI in the likes of, um, you know, one roof and whatnot in yes. terms of uh, and their property value sort of uh, tools and, and they're, they're a helpful guide um, but they're not property specific I mean they are but they aren't yeah. and um, um, that's got to be recognised they don't take into account you know the condition and the quality the individual characteristics of a property um, in the same way as you know a valuer can and so it's a case of balancing that, and it depends on what you need that information for. Mm. Um, uh, but you know, look, that uh, that Tama, um, hey, great that both landlords and tenants understand their rights. May not necessarily agree with the current settings of all of mm. the, uh, the tenancy law, yeah. but um, you know that is what it is. Okay. But at least everyone knows. Cool. I was also just thinking about because, um, like, I was looking at homes.co.nz the other day for a couple of properties, and a few properties that I track where I'm a, a trustee for people, so I have a, a, a natural and should have a natural interest in what's happening. 
uh, and you know, like you know, for the purposes of um, <clears throat> the quotable value numbers or the government value numbers for rating purposes. But it was interesting with the AI the other day. I noticed with Homes.co.nz that there is no, um, there is nothing about solar or batteries. So, for example, your you could invest. $25,000 and put a solar and battery system onto your home, you could collapse your monthly energy prices to nil and actually receive money over the summer months. And as a solar producer, that's about to happen in September, which is fabulous. <laughs> but it was interesting. I noticed that the you know the AI did not factor that in at all, which I was rather surprised. No, look, that's right. I mean, they only know what they know, and um, they just don't know everything about your property. Yeah. Um, if you... Particularly if you haven't had to get a building consent for it, yes, um, it won't effectively be recognised. Yep. So if you've done up your gardens, tidied, painted your house, um, <laughs> done a lot of that superficial stuff, yep. that actually is some of the best way to add value, um, won't recognise it. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And um, so just touching on that kind of those, the, I was looking the other day, as a, again, as a trustee, objecting to some uh, valuations that had come through, and I looked at the fact that for the first time in probably about 11 years that the um, that the value on something like homes.co.nz is lower than the new council rating that's come out. So a lot of people will be like, oh, great, my property value's gone up according to the, uh, the council and how they're going to rate me. And then they'll go online and be like, hang on a minute, this is normally not this case. So there must be a few people who are a little bit confused because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, well, we certainly haven't seen it uh, since those tools have come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, yeah, no, look, I mean, that's the that's probably going to be the new normal um, for any councils where they've recently reviewed the um, rating values, which they have in Hastings just now. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I guess people are going to have to get used to that. Um, certainly we're now starting to see some valuations going out with, values lower than the rating values yeah. again this is something we haven't seen for quite a long yep. time yeah um and uh, that's that's a bit of a shock to some of our customers um yeah so so maybe it kind of is going to debunk the myth where people you know you get the the prospective person who's looking at buying a property and they always go you know properties transacted about 10 12 percent above uh, quotable value or government value for rating purposes and you know that rule of thumb that's debunked that's gone yeah, look, I think increasingly people um, have probably moved away from that tool anyway mm. and gone more to the online valuations. Yeah. Um, so actually, I think the online valuations are uh, probably more important than the rating value because they, they remain current yes. in, in some respects, although they're not necessarily accurate. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And um, so, look, you know, we've all read about the, um, you know, the floodgates of migration are, uh, you know, you know, have have occurred. People are flooding back in. Although the some of the kind of more wiser heads that I I read of uh, talk about the fact that we're bringing people in that uh, have a lower IQ than the people that we're exporting. We're actually exporting talent, and we're bringing in uh, people that don't have as much talent. So we're losing the best and bringing on people that. So anyway, whatever the political view is of that, but. How do you see this record bounce back in migration affecting the residential housing market? Oh, look, migration is, is very, very important. Um, uh, I don't think we can underestimate that. Um, yep. Because ultimately, everyone wants a home, and they need to have a home in some respect. And, yep. and you can squeeze more people in a home only so much, you know. Um, and 
uh, yeah, it's it's probably as important a factor yeah. as interest costs. So wow. um, yeah, but uh, but only if it's moving, and um, you know, if if if, it, if we do get substantial migration, um, then then it will have a strong impact on values. At the moment, what we are seeing is that the cost to build is actually um, typically more expensive than um, the value of the product that you have once you've built it. Yes. Um, and that's actually the opposite of what we saw. We saw a real anomaly in the market for uh, through that COVID period and, and in the lead up to it as well, probably in the three year lead up to that as well, where if, if you could somehow buy some land, which was the impossible task, yes. um, uh, then you could build on it and um, you know it might cost you uh, $500,000 to buy the land, 500000 to build, it should be worth a million dollars. Actually, it was worth 1.2. Yes. Um, and um, now what we're seeing is that million dollars worth of cost is actually only worth 900000 mm. or maybe eight, uh, $950,000. And, and so, you know, it is hard to justify. You really need to be doing it because that's the property you want. That is, um, uh, you know, the dream that you've had. You know, you're building your dream home or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so the market is very much uh, stifled, it's 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 uh, stagnated, and um, and we're not seeing very many land transactions, and that is simply because of that. Um, so if immigration um, uh, has a part, then then that might pick back up. If uh, if we're migrating, um, then you know that is not going to encourage it at all. It's going to help contract that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it certainly would supply and demand. Yeah. Hey, and just touching on um, your ACT candidacy. So, look, you know, congratulations. I see with the recent list rankings, you're number 16 on the list, which looks as though that your days as a uh, practicing valuer <laughs> may be relatively short. Yeah, oh, look, thanks, Nick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super optimistic. You know, I'm, as I travel around the country, yeah. and I have, and, and recent weeks I've been up at uh, Taranaki King Country and Taupo and um, and around Hawke's Bay here yep. and uh, talking to people in the community. And what I can tell you is that there is enormous support behind ACT at the moment. Yep. I've never known it to be so strong. Um, the, uh, there are a lot of national voters that are very much going, oh, should we vote ACT this year yes. to give yep. um, a little bit more steel to um, the reform program that are very much needed in New Zealand? Mm. Um Things like um, the cost of living. I mean, I had one of my clients the other day. I um, I valued his property for him about um, uh, about two years ago, and he got me back in uh, because his interest rate costs had doubled, um, and uh, and he was and he was telling me about his his situation and how you know when he went to the supermarket. Um, $150 just bought him this tiny little trolley of groceries. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, he's a hard-working Kiwi. Had mm. a job, um, and and he'd bought a home in the cheapest part of town in Flatsmere, you know, um, but he was struggling to put food on the table and a roof over the head of his family. All he wanted was a uh, well-paying job to keep a fair share of his money yep. um, and affordable costs... And you know, reasonable interest rates. These are not unreasonable asks. 
these are the he's the kind of Kiwi that Labour promised to help. Mm. Um, and um, you know, in the end, because of this cost crisis that through excessive government spending we're mm. faced with here in New Zealand, and as a result, inflation has gone up, interest rates has gone up, everything has turned against this poor guy simply because of the decisions that this Labour government has made. And so we're seeing uh, a real shift towards ACT. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm super looking forward to the uh, the challenge in, uh, on, on the, from the 14th of October onwards. Mate, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an incredibly dynamic, um, what, you just, you know, what, 95-odd days to go. Um, yeah, really exciting. Hey, and just um, one of the things I've, I, I heard some um, anecdotal discussion over the weekend that um, it's rumoured that uh, on the rural polling that acts it, it starts with a three, as in it's in the 30s, the support, which is just incredible in a rural community, particularly when you look at somewhere like Hawke's Bay, we are a rural hinterland. The fact that ACT would be polling at um, in the 30s, amazing. Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, I think if you if you polled farmers, it'd be over 50%. Um, wow. <laughs> certainly, the, that was the feedback I'm getting. Um, mm. Farmers are very much behind us, and, um, and, you know, their communities understand how important the rural... Uh, sector is to them, yeah. and so that is certainly flowing through in yeah. terms of the general rural vote as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of positivity out there. Mm. Do you think? <clears throat> do you think that part of that is the fact that historically, um, say, you know, National was the farmer's friend, and then over a period of like probably the last fifteen twenty years, that the that the Blue Party, that National, has become more Auckland and more Wellington Beltway. Whereas you look at ACT and you look at the the proportion of candidates that are from a farming background or are farmers dwarfs national. So is that potentially why ACT is a magnet towards the farming community? Yeah, look, we've been speaking out for them for a long time now. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark Cameron has been an absolute advocate. Um, and look, let's not forget Andrew Hoggard because he has... Uh, stood up for mm. he's he's been the voice for rural communities in the general um, uh, you know over the airwaves for many years yes. and um, uh, look people understand that and you know look national had their uh, meet the rural team sort mm. of uh, billboards up the other day. And he's in a suit, you know. <laughs> I just thought, I, I laughed. I, I had to take a photo of it. It was so humorous. Um, you know, you just wouldn't get that. You don't get that with Mark Cameron no. and, uh, and, and Andrew Hoggart. Um, they're out there meeting the community and Nicole McKee and, and the like, yeah. um, talking to the rural community. We've just done a massive heartland tour um, where we've gone into all the minor little townships around the country and it has been very warmly received. Well, that's great. Well, good on you guys for doing for doing the legwork. Hey, and in terms of your focus for the next hundred days, and then the hundred days following that, should you be elected, um, you know, what does your focus look like for those two components? Yeah, well, look, I think it's actually more like seventy days, Nick. Yeah. It's, it's it's fast evaporating, yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah. and, and probably less than sixty to the polls actually open. Um, wow. So, um, uh, yeah, no, look, the next sixty days, well. I've got to come up with a contingency plan on the basis that I do get in. Yes. Um, so for the business, um, so uh, that's that's part of my focus. But the main focus is on making sure that the ACT Party has as large a vote as it possibly can get. Um, so we're we're out there 
in the community, talking to the people and, um, you know, making sure that they understand what ACT stands for um, and, uh, you know, um, what we can do for them. And that, you know, a vote for ACT is a vote to give um, some real steel to the change that we need in New Zealand. Um, but look, after uh, the election, um, we've got a 100-day plan, which, um, you know, would see uh, things like the three waters uh, repealed and returned to councils, um, repeal of the Maori Health Authority, um, changes to the Reserve Bank Act to let it concentrate solely on inflation again. Let's get, let's get control back on prices. Uh, we want to repeal the Zero Carbon Act so that um, you know, we get rid of things like the Ute um, tax and Tesla subsidies and actually let the emissions trading scheme do what emission trading scheme should do, which is um, allocate resources most efficiently to cutting, tax, uh, cutting emissions rather than um, some uh, harebrained scheme. Um, you know, the other day um, someone rang up the radio uh, saying, well, uh, after after the government had uh, uh, given was it um, one of the large companies a lot of money to change a gas furnace yes, I remember over, that. Yeah. Um, uh, to an electric one, um, um, and he was like, "My coffee roaster runs on gas. Do I get a electric <laughs> coffee roaster? You know." And and you take it to its logical conclusion, and he should, but that's not the most efficient you know, spending of government resources. What we should be doing is uh, letting the emissions trading scheme allocate that in the most efficient way to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Um, uh, let's um, return interest deductibility um, uh, to, to uh, invest, uh, residential investment, um, uh, get rid of the bright line test um, and make some changes to the Residential Tenancy Act. Let's get things back in, in some sort of order there. Uh, bring back 90-day trials so we can actually get the economy um, moving again. And um, we'll bring back three strikes for law and order. Um, re, uh, re-implement um, chartered schools. Um, now, obviously, they won't be up and running in three in, in 100 days, but we will really be pushing yeah. to make sure that they are, um, are in, in, in train um, and get some um, changes, particularly around the um, Oranga Tamariki Section uh, 7AA, which at the moment um, uh, is taking children out of safe homes and uh, returning them to uh, potentially unsafe uh, homes uh, back to, to Māori communities, which, which um, you know, rather than with a family that they've built up a relationship with, that's just wrong. Yeah, interesting. So that's yeah. just a taste of what our 100-day plan is. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of stuff to do. I look, look, I would imagine that some of the listeners who um, sit on forests and, um, you, know, you know, either, either near maturity or they've just planted... Um, the fact of um, you know moving back to a, a more ETS-based normalised carbon price would be absolutely music to their ears because you know when you plant a forest for 25 years and you've got um, governments manipulating or our government manipulating the price or you know it's extremely problematic for those people. And if you look at the carbon price over the last couple of months, it has been um, an incredibly volatile. 
uh, investment. Um, I feel very, very sorry for those people. Whereas if you look at what, the, say, the Europeans do, where it's a much more f- free float basis, um, it allows people to plan. It allows and gives people the confidence to invest. Look, I'm not a particularly forestry pro individual, but I certainly understand if you're going to commit to a 25 or 22 to 25 year investment or longer, if he's going to run it for carbon purely, you need some, you need, needs a fair, fair playing field with a bit of transparency. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you need some certainty. Yeah. You can't make those sort of investments on, on, uh, on a spot price, knowing that, uh, in, in, a, in a week's time, it's going to be something completely different. <laughs> Who knows what it's going to be worth in 25 years? Exactly, you know? exactly. Crazy. Yeah. Hey, well, Rob, um, once again, look, um, thanks a lot for coming in to visit us. Great to have a chat with you about all things property, and this is the second one of these discussions we've had over the last number of couple of years. But also, you know, congratulations uh, on the Act candidacy, and, um, and we wish you all the best for the um, number of days, or as you say, 60 days until polling opens, and um, I wish you and your family all the best. Thanks, Nick. It's been fun.